Is it the weekend already? Well, almost. We have to have another edition of the Speaking Forum podcast first, of course. And I'm Adam McNutt alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. This is Andrew, and it's great to be with you. And it is the second weekend in April, which means that we are bringing you a uh, a show that will talk about the spring 2016 production by Master Arts um, Theater. Um, you know, if you've listened for any length of time that I've featured their plays, um, talk to talk to directors and and sometimes cast or crew of their productions, and today is no exception. Today we will be talking with, um, via an interview that I pre-recorded, we will be talking with Bob Carroll, the director, and Timothy Van Bruggen, who, incidentally, you heard from last week um, on the show. You heard his testimony and his time with Adam and I in the studio. Well, today he's back with us for the second week in a row because... He is playing Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Beams Are Creaking, which is the title role. And so I'm very excited to once again sit down with him, along with Bob, to tell you about this show. And we'll get to that interview in just a moment. But first, Adam has a quote of the day. Douglas Anderson's illuminating drama proves to be as exciting a political thriller as it does a savvy character study. That is actually from the Seattle Times. All right, and I, I think it's kind of interesting because you'll see as we get into the recording of the interview that um, Bob, without knowing what my quote of the day is going to be, refers to it as a political thriller. So I thought it was kind of neat that they were on the same page. Yeah. And I'm very excited um, to go watch it um, a week from when this podcast is posted. So I will be at the April 15th showing. So if you happen to have tickets for that day, um, come say hi and let me know that you're a listener. But anyway, um, Adam, do you know much about Dietrich Bonhoeffer? I, I know a, a little bit um, that it was back in uh, the, the 40s and uh, he, he was in the, the Holocaust years and uh, went through a lot of that. I, I don't know in depth as much as, let's say, the story of Anne Frank, but um, I'm, I'm, inter- I'm interested to learn more and understand what this play is going to portray, because I, I heard it's supposed to be very good and pretty powerful. Well, we, we'll, we'll hear a, a, a little bit more of those details um, right now as we go into the interview that I recorded with Bob Carroll and Timothy Van Bruggen, and then we'll be back to wrap up the show. All right, well, I am here with uh, Bob Carroll and Tim Van Bruggen, of Master Arts to talk about the spring 2016 production of The Beams Are Creaking, and I've been very excited to sit down with you guys to talk about um, this show, um, specifically as we get more into it about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, because he is a very polarizing figure in history and church history in particular. Um, a lot of people have varying opinions as to whether, as to what they think about his actions during the war. Um, but I've always been inspired by the story, so this should be interesting. Um, so first of all, Bob, can you just tell me a little bit about the show and what you think are some of the highlights? Sure. The show is, uh, as you mentioned, it's the story of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and for those that are unfamiliar with him, it unfolds in two different acts. The first act is really a whirlwind of about 15, that covers about 15 years of his life, 
and there's probably about 28 different scenes that we move through uh, to bring up uh, his journey, um, getting him to the place where he made the decisions that he did and what was behind all of that. And then in the second act, we really are settling with probably perhaps what is one of the last days of his life as he's in his jail cell, and then as he reflects on his journey, uh, where God's been in that, where he's going. So it is a will help people who don't know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, they'll be able to grasp his story, how it's rooted in history, and then also understand uh, some of the deep feelings that led him to make the decisions that he that he did. And uh, so I think it's uh, uh, one that's it, it, the first half almost plays like a um, like a mystery, like a it has that intensity of a suspense mystery of how is this all going to unfold, how is this going to happen. So it's a pretty exciting uh, production, not just a dry history biopic of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's it's an exciting production. And a quote that I have um, that I shared at the beginning of this podcast um, expresses it as a political th- thriller, so I find it interesting that you mentioned that. Yes. Um, because that's the opinion of the Seattle Times about this particular show. So, Tim, um, can you tell me... Um, what you think are some highlights of working on this show for you so far? Well, I think the biggest highlight for me has to be uh, bringing the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer to life and to bring it to people who may not know it. Um, It's a a fantastic story. It's both, like you mentioned, a combination of kind of a political thriller in a time that was very um, fraught with uh, difficulty for many, many people, not just in Germany, but throughout the world. Uh, but it also is a story of one man's faith and um, his journey to make decisions that he feel are feels are the ones that God wants him to. And I think that's really, really interesting for me to, to walk through this process and get into Dietrich's head a little bit and find out where his faith is in the midst of this story. And this is kind of a related question, Bob, but a lot of shows that we see portrayed at Master Arts Theater and elsewhere, um, they they may be classics, and so in a certain sense, people are looking for certain things from them because of that. But a lot of times they're fun, fictional stories, and while they may be based in reality, they're not real stories. So could you talk about um, what might be particular challenges to bringing a true life story to the stage as opposed to interpreting someone's fictional writing? Sure. I think every uh, every person that uh, enters that stage or every character that comes on that stage is a person that's historical. They're most of the people you can Google and you can find out who they are, what they look like, what they did. So there's not a lot of uh, imagination that we have to put into in terms of creating backstory. Uh, for, mo- for most of us, it's kind of under uh, looking back at history and going through the pages of that and, and trying to mine and, and figure out what motivated these people and why, uh, what, what drove them to do what they did. And so it's really looking at those scenes, understanding they're making decisions in a certain time, in a certain place, and from their heart and their head, why did they make these decisions? And so that's one of the uh, uh, unique features of doing a, more of a historical uh, play is that those those things have stood and they are there. 
And, and this one is amazing because you couldn't write a fiction piece uh, any better than this. When you, when you watch all the scenes, when you watch the decisions that he has to make, when you see the assassination attempts on Hitler that they tried and that they failed, I mean, it's just unbelievable. You couldn't have imagined anything uh, any better. So to be able to bring those things to life for people, and I think there will be some some wow moments that people didn't realize because of our distance from the history and also just our connection with the story. They may go, wow, I didn't realize the depths of what was what was going on. And perhaps uh, I would make the same decision he did if I was in his shoes. Mm-hmm. And, and that is an interesting question because some people um, would say, based on the fact that the, the Bible says that governments are instituted by God, that perhaps his actions were wrong. But then on the other side, you, you see, you know, quotes like, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. And so standing aside while atrocities take place and just allowing them to, to take place is definitely wrong as well. So there's definitely that line there, and people are on uh, different sides. And, and really, even depending on who's telling the story of Mr. Bonhoeffer, you can get different opinions just from that perspective. Um, so just a general question, um, how many shows have you directed? This is my first show that I'm okay. directing at Master Arts. Okay. I haven't directed any um, shows there. I've directed a, a few other shows for some other theater, kind of when I was out in California, and most of my, a lot of my directing has been done church-based uh, with our productions and things that we do within our church. So this is my branching out, because usually I like to just go and act. So, so, is, so, yeah. th- so you, are, you are much more of an actor type than a director type then? I'm not sure. I think I'm, maybe I'm lazy <laughs> in not wanting to take on all the responsibilities of directing because for me, uh, a chance to act uh, fills me up and uh, it's very enjoyable. I get to just connect with other people where directing, you assume a lot of responsibilities. Well, and the last time I saw you on stage, I believe you were playing a villain. Yes. Bill Sykes and <laughs> Oliver, which exactly. is an interesting departure from your real-life persona. It is. It, I must say. In fact, every time I've been in a play at Master Arts, I have been the villain, and I believe that I've been killed uh, every time <laughs> <laughs> that I've been in a show there. And I, and I have to say about Tim here, too, just to share a little tidbit, I saw you perform a couple weeks ago in the Carol Brunette sketches and the very first sketch that you came out to do I didn't realize it was you until I saw your second sketch and then I realized hey that was him the first time too so <laughs> that that spoke volumes to me of your ability as an actor thank you and so that brings me to um what's it like to bring Bonhoeffer to life wow um well, kind of like Bob said, the, the great thing about portraying Dietrich Bonhoeffer is there's there's a wealth of information out there now on him. So I'm spending a lot of time uh, reading Eric Metaxas' book on Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, watching documentaries about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, it does help that I kind of have a very similar physical appearance to him. I'm kind of have that tall, blonde, German uh, look to me, so that's going to be helpful. Um, but what I'm finding most fascinating is uh, most of us look at him and view him either as an intellectual through his writings or as uh, a, a person who played a part in this plot. And that's really all the, the average person knows about him. 
what I'm finding fascinating as we do the show is finding the faith and the character and the the relationships that he has that inform those things that the general public knew about. And um, part of it is working with some great actors and with a fantastic director who's already helping us really fill out those characters. Um, But a lot of it is also just really finding the core of who Dietrich was, why he thought the way he did, what was important to him. And I'm I'm really uh, excited for the chance to kind of inhabit him on stage. I think the challenge has been to make him real and not just a writing, because most of us know books that he wrote and, and those kinds of things, but as we've looked through the scripts and as you read about him, one of the things, you know, nuggets we find is that everybody loved the guy, all the way from his 13-year-old kids that he worked with in his uh, Sunday school catechism classes to the German prisoners. They loved the guy, so there had to be, that's a human, you know, that's a real human quality that gets out of the head, and so how to play that on stage to communicate that aspect. Uh, so it's a real balance be, um, because he was a really rich, I think a rich person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you tell us about the rest of the cast, Bob? Uh, the rest of the cast is uh, pretty uh, pretty stellar. They got quite the task ahead of them because they all play multiple characters. Uh, probably most of them are in the range of four additional characters that they all play in the show. Uh, Tim carries the load as Dietrich, so he, he plays Dietrich through the whole show and just has a, a big load of lines that he has to learn, and hopefully he'll have them learn by the time the show goes on, <laughs> says the director. We can hope. Uh, we can hope. Does he uh, get to hold any pieces of paper? <laughs> We're trying to find some places. <laughs> yep. and when he has a radio address, we'll let him hold a piece of paper, but other than that, yep. So the rest of the cast uh, is moving in and out of different characters, and uh, and that, too, is a challenge for them because they got to portray those characters different physically and maybe even uh, emotionally and how they come across. So it's a real ensemble piece when I look at it, uh, which then that part of it I think is, is great fun, and we all understand that we're working together as a unit to, to pull off this whole story. So when you came out to audition for this show, were you uh, hoping or anticipating hopefully being Dietrich, or what were you thinking? Not at all. <laughs> uh, I, I came just, you know, because I haven't been with Master Arts very long, done a couple of, you know, the traveling stuff, and this was the first, well, I read the script and I loved, absolutely loved the story, so I knew I wanted to be a part of it, but when I auditioned, I was hoping to get one of the one of the um, other characters who played multiple parts. I specifically liked Bishop Bell, um, who's uh, the head of the Ecumenical Council in England, and I, I even made Bob listen to me read that part. <laughs> he did it well. So, <laughs> yep. Um, and when he offered me Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I was a little, I was very surprised um, because I am a little older than, than he was, um, but just the opportunity to play him, I'm very, I was very excited to get the, to get the chance. All right. And Bob, when is the run of the show? Uh, the show opens on Thursday, April 14th. And really runs through May 14. So there's uh, a lot of opportunities. There's 18 shows. Many of them are selling out already. So if people are anxious to get their tickets, they should go online to Master Arts. And for anybody that might not be familiar with Master Arts yet, which if you've been listening to my podcast for any length of time, you probably are and you've heard of this, but I'm going to say it anyway. 
A sellout for Master Arts is about 100 seats, so it does not take much to sell out a show. So make sure that you uh, even pause this podcast and go over to the Master Arts website, get your tickets, come back, listen to the rest, knowing that you have your tickets purchased. So that would be good. Um, And a unique feature of this show is that we're slightly less than 100 because we changed the configuration of the theater. This one is actually going to be done... Uh, in the thrust stage with people sitting on all three sides. Of oh, the three sides. Yeah, okay. sitting on three sides. So it'll be a very intimate show, and everybody will feel like they're right there. Yeah, that's another thing about Master Arts. You never know what the configuration is going to be till you walk <laughs> in, usually, unless you get sneak peeks like this. So, um, And how do we get our tickets? Uh, the best way is to go online to uh, masterarts.org, and uh, they got the ticket information on there. And you can uh, also find the phone number there to call in and uh, talk uh, with somebody in the front office. And they are generally available 9 to 5, Monday through Friday for that, so uh, please make sure that you do that quickly. Um, And so I have a final question for each of you to answer, and that is if you were to tell us in 30 to 45 seconds one big reason why people should come see the beams are creaking, what would you say? We'll start with Bob. Well, I'm going to jump on the fact that I think it's very irrelevant uh, story for today as we are engaged in the political climate that we are and as people are watching s- political leaders rise in the United States and, and that whole thing of power and people following them uh, and what's right, what's wrong, when do we step in, what do we say, what's the position a Christian should take in politics, this is one that will challenge you in that regard. And I totally agree with what Bob said and even more specifically I would say to see a man struggle with his place as a believer in Christ and his place as a person in community and what those responsibilities mean and how he struggles with them. I think it's a fascinating uh, portrayal. Um, And I've always said, and I do believe that we can all learn from history, you know, a lot of times you look at those pastimes like World War II and the Holocaust and things that resulted, and we say that that's distant past, that could never happen again. But there's an old saying that says those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And I think we would do well to heed the lessons of uh, this era, and specifically the lessons of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and learn from them so that we don't have to repeat them as a nation. So with that being said, thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining us today. And we hope to see as many of you who are listening out there as possible to come see The Beams Are Creaking. All right, and so there you have my interview with Timothy Van Bruggen and Bob Carroll uh, for the show The Beams Are Creaking with Master Arts Theater. Many thanks to those gentlemen for the time they spent sitting down with me. Um, It's gotten a little bit more... uh, difficult to get these interviews since my studio recording time changed but i thank them for their flexibility and i'm very thankful for modern technology for allowing me to be able to record on location at times um adam you were not able to be actively involved in the interview itself but what are your thoughts having listened to that Uh, it's really uh piqued my interest because not only does it sound like a, a great play and you know, Master Arts always has top-notch actors on stage with whatever role they're playing. But I, I think this is a really interesting opportunity to learn about uh, history. You know, we, we've all had the chance to study World War II and know what so many people went through during the Holocaust. But this is through the eyes of a man who 
um, was liked, even by the German soldiers. That part for a second, when they were talking about that, he was loved by everybody. I was like, whoa, that that would be so odd to see this character and see his life played out, even with enemies who who liked him. So it got me very interested in in, in who is Diedrich, Diedrich and and knowing more about his story. So I would say go out. You know, Master Arts works so hard on their plays, and just to go out to support them, and especially for this. Uh, for this show, definitely do so. Um, and, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because um, there's a verse, and I forget the exact wording, but it's something to the effect that a, that a righteous man maketh even those that are his enemies to be at peace with him. Yeah. You know, there's only so much of an enemy you can have when you don't in, don't get in confrontations with every other person mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that you're walking down the road with. And so what a testimony to have that. And... For that to even, like you said, come out in the interview, I can only imagine how cool it's going to be to see the show. Um, so I would encourage you guys to get your tickets. As I said, I will be there uh, the evening of April 15th. So come over and say hi uh, if you want to. I'll be on the front row uh, in the wheelchair so you won't miss me. And, uh, again, I'd love to, love to say hi to anybody that happens to be listening to this podcast before you come. Well, that's um, all I have for you this week. Um, We'll be back next week with more great content. I hope that you have enjoyed this. I hope that you will continue to share the podcast with your friends. And I hope that, as always, you will keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking For Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 